Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. And welcome to Knocked Up, the podcast about fertility and women's health. You are joined, as always, by me, Geordie Morrison, and Dr. Rayleigh Alou, CREI Fertility Specialist. On today's show, we're revisiting polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS. We last did a series on PCOS in 2018, so there's a few episodes in the back catalogue, and it's such a common problem. We're going to bring a 2021 spin on the topic with our series of episodes called Personalising PCOS with the latest information on diagnosis and management from a holistic viewpoint. We're excited to create a series of PCOS-focused episodes covering a range of topics and welcoming members of our expert team at WHM. Our attitude is to work together to achieve the best outcomes for our patient with PCOS, whether trying to conceive or not encompassing healthy living and emotional health. Raylia, let's start off. What is PCOS? So, Geordie, as you mentioned, PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome and it is a spectrum. So it's not one syndrome that affects everyone the same way. It is a condition where there are various factors at play. One is the size of your ovary and the sheer number of follicles you have. One is your weight and your metabolism. One is your level of insulin resistance. And genetics comes into it big time. So if you have a family member who has PCOS or who has diabetes, you are more likely to have PCOS than someone else. It's also a condition that is not a constant. It's something you can flip into and out of, which is why it is such an exciting condition to treat holistically because we can really impact whether we turn our PCOS switch on or off depending on the situation of our diet and lifestyle. And we've got a lot of power to flip ourselves out of PCOS. So it's not something that is a forever diagnosis. Having a polycystic ovary just means on ultrasound, having an ovary that has lots and lots of eggs in it, the current ultrasound diagnosis requires greater than 25 follicles on each ovary to create an ultrasound criteria of PCOS. That's changed over the years and the reason for that is not because the ovaries have changed, it's because our technology has changed. So just like when you or I used to watch, you know, our grandparents' black and white TV that was very pixelated when we were little kids, compared to today's in-home in cinema where we can watch really high definition Technology has changed and the way we view the ovary through ultrasound technology has allowed us to really see the depth and detail of what a polycystic ovary actually is. So it's not that the definition has arbitrarily changed, it's that the ultrasound that we use to see the ovary is just much better now and we can see more detail. If I pulled 15 women off the street who had no symptoms and a regular menstrual cycle but what they had in common was that they were under 20, 
we would probably be able to meet ultrasound criteria of PCOS on every single one of them. So ultrasound alone is not a worrying thing. And one thing I would say is that patients get really freaked out when someone suggests polycystic ovarian syndrome and they start Googling and they start worrying about infertility. I would say don't stress. If you are someone who's ultrasound for whatever reason you had it shows polycystic looking ovaries but you have a normal menstrual cycle, you don't have the syndrome. The syndrome is a constellation of symptoms together where you might have excess what we call androgenic expression. So you might have excess hair growing in places you don't want it or you might have hair falling out in places that you don't want it like on your head in a male pattern baldness pattern which is very distressing for women. You might have acne. You might have lots of hair in body places like arms and legs that you don't want them and hair on your face that you don't want. And these are things that we call clinical hyperandrogenism. You don't have to have a high testosterone on your bloodstream to have those problems. If you have the problems and you do a blood test and your testosterone level comes back as normal, that still counts in terms of a diagnosis of PCOS. PCOS is what we call a diagnosis of exclusion, which means we have to do tests looking for other reasons that you could have high androgens and rule them out. So we have to make sure, for example, that you don't have what we call adrenal hyperplasia or you don't have an androgen secreting tumour somewhere like your ovary, which is rare but very serious. So we, we need to look for those things. And, you know, one thing that women often present with is an irregular menstrual cycle, and often that's because your hormones are out of balance in the constellation of your symptoms and environment. And so we also have to look for other reasons that periods can be irregular, like a high prolactin level or a thyroid imbalance. So we, we tend to look for the pattern of your hormones that come from the brain and speak to the ovary through the pituitary gland system. And we look for all the other reasons that can result in the various symptoms of PCOS. And according to what's called the Rotterdam criteria, which is the current criteria we use to make the diagnosis, you have to have two out of three criteria of either irregular menstrual cycles, a polycystic looking ovary on ultrasound and either clinical or what we call biochemical hyperandrogenism, so high testosterone or signs that testosterone is active in your body in excess even if it's not high on a blood test. So that's kind of what PCOS is. And the reason that we can flip it on and off is that our metabolic state impacts the expression of PCOS. So some people will have a particular body weight that the PCOS will become apparent and if they get themselves below that body weight, the PCOS will go away. And the tendency to it's there, but by changing our environment, we can change how it expresses. And we can also change our diet. So if we have a tendency to insulin resistance, by increasing the amount of muscle mass we have so that we increase our metabolic rate, by treating other conditions that might affect metabolic rate that we might also have, like having a lazy thyroid, by because lots of women have a lazy thyroid, by doing things like reducing the amount of sugars in our diet, particularly simple sugars, um, because sugar is the enemy of PCOS and there's a lot of sugar in our diet these days that really wouldn't have been there in generations past. By reducing that, we can reduce the burden of PCOS. And what we do at Women's Health Melbourne is we build a team, depending on your condition and depending on what aspects of PCOS are likely to be affecting you, and try and work on that holistic lifestyle 
situation together to sometimes just push you out of the PCOS zone. And if you're trying to have a baby, if you're ovulating every month, even if your ultrasound did show you had polycystic looking ovaries or your blood test did show your testosterone was a little bit elevated, if you're ovulating every month, you've got the same chance as anyone else to get pregnant. Why are we talking about PCOS again? PCOS is such a common concern and it's becoming even more common. And the reason it's becoming even more common is that we are a little heavier than we were in generations past. And that's not necessarily something that we need to change for other reasons. But if you're trying to have a baby, certainly if that's the reason you're not ovulating, we can't not talk about it. And it's something that we can talk about with respect and something that we can help you with because particularly for women with PCOS, it's really hard to change these things. It's important to acknowledge that the metabolic set points for women with PCOS make it more challenging to change things. You know, you might have somebody who does the exact same amount of exercise or eats the same amount of sugar as a woman with PCOS and has no problem ovulating and has no problem losing weight. But women with PCOS do because their endocrine system, their hormonal system is geared to hold on to that. And so you really do need the help to shift it and it is a big deal. Sometimes women with PCOS have other problems as well in terms of having a baby. Sometimes their partner has a problem as well. So women with PCOS whose partner has a problem as well, they definitely need holistic support and they might need the assisted reproductive treatment technologies that we use for other male factor concerns like IVF. But there are also specific issues for women with PCOS going through IVF. It, it, is a, it is a common problem. It is a problem that I think across the board is managed poorly. I think there are amazing guidelines, amazing clinical guidelines to assist the management of women with PCOS to try and help create a good knowledge base among practitioners. But I think because IVF is very easy access, whereas to do what's called skilled ovulation induction for women who have done the diet and lifestyle thing and they cannot ovulate without some extra help from medication, that can be something that's not done so well across the board. And coming to see a CREI subspecialist who has expertise in ovulation induction through various methods and is not just going to use kind of cookbook medicine to get someone ovulating is, you know, an option that women should be aware of because a lot of women with PCOS are unfortunately pushed to IVF and there are some pretty serious things that can happen to women with PCOS who has IVF like hyperstimulation. And certainly when I do treat someone with IVF who has PCOS, I, I treat them in a very specific way to try and avoid complications of IVF. You've mentioned fertility, but what about other aspects of quality of life for someone who has PCOS? You've said it's hard to lose weight and they might be hairier. What else might someone experience? So you can experience depression and it's definitely been documented that depression is more common in women with PCOS and that may be related to the hormonal imbalances. There are some important serious things that can go wrong for women who just don't have a regular period. One of those is called endometrial hyperplasia and endometrial hyperplasia is something that happens when the lining of the uterus, instead of growing and shedding, with the natural hormonal cycle where you ovulate and that stabilizes the endometrium and allows it to shed if a pregnancy doesn't occur. 
in PCOS, you can be under the constant influence of estrogen. Estrogen is what we call a mitogenic hormone, meaning it makes or promotes cells to divide and divide in a way that they are not meant to do constantly. They're meant to divide as the lining grows to accept a pregnancy and then they're meant to stabilize and then they're meant to shed. So it's like the seasons of the endometrium. In PCOS, if you're someone who doesn't have a period for many months on end, that lining can grow and grow and grow. And if a cell makes a mistake in that unchecked environment, it can be something that leads to a pre-cancer or eventually an endometrial cancer. Unfortunately, in my career, I've seen young women as young as in their early 20s develop endometrial cancer with untreated PCOS, which is very, very sad when it happens and sometimes requires a hysterectomy. So to protect your fertility in PCOS, it is important to protect your endometrium and ensure that a regular bleed happens at least every three months. And that's why a lot of GPs in the community for someone who's not trying to have a baby recommend contraceptive measures like the pill or like a progesterone IUD to protect the endometrium. And in doing so, they are really protecting your future fertility. Whether they have that discussion with you at the time or not, um, that's what they're doing. They're protecting your fertility for the future by taking those measures at the time. When do we suspect PCOS? We have a pretty strong suspicion for PCOS when someone presents with that those constellation of symptoms where they're having irregular cycles, where they have hyperandrogenism, because it is very common. It happens in about 1 in 10 to 1 in 12 women, so it's pretty common. We have to always prick our ears up for other things that could be presenting in the same way and make sure that nothing else is going on. But we, we have a look and we can take a family history and often there is a family history, not always, but often there is a family history of relatives who might have a diabetic tendency because they do tend to go hand in hand with the insulin resistance. And you know, in the long-term life of someone with PCOS, taking those measures that we introduce in our 100 days program to try and improve nutrition and improve balance actually prevent diabetes and they prevent gestational diabetes in pregnancy to some degree and or at least make it less severe and they can prevent long-term issues like heart disease vascular disease that come with uncontrolled diabetes so really it's very powerful to make that diagnosis early and implement changes because across a woman's life she's more able to take control of her general health and prevent problems in the future and then to confirm a diagnosis it's through ultrasound and a blood test yep so ultrasound history blood test what risks are involved you mentioned the um, end, was it endometrial cancer and struggles with fertility what other risks could there be to someone who has PCOS the main health risks relate to insulin resistance obesity heart disease diabetes so they're the long-term risks in the short term the main things that preoccupy young women are irregular cycles, abnormal endometrial changes and fertility. And are there any positives of having PCOS? Yeah, definitely. Having a high egg count is amazing. You'll go through menopause later than other people. Your bone strength will probably be better across your whole life. You may look younger for longer, which is good because that's what estrogen does. <laughs> In terms of 
things like if you did need IVF or if you wanted to freeze eggs, Pecos is a gift. You have a big healthy ovary with lots of eggs. You're more than likely to be able to be successful in a single round compared to someone with a smaller ovary at the same age. So there's lots and lots and lots of things that are beneficial. It's just about balance. It's just about finding the balance for our body. Some people are not overweight at all and have PCOS. In those women, the insulin resistance tends to be quite phenomenal and the also the size of the ovary has a lot to answer for. So it's just that, you know, different women, different elements of that presentation push them into the PCOS situation. A good thing also is that our ovaries, you know, in terms of the symptoms, I mean like hair growth and and acne and those kind of things, the symptoms tend to become less severe with age and that's because our ovaries do become less polycystic as we get older. Like all women, women with a polycystic ovaries lose our eggs as we age and as that egg count comes down, our hormonal imbalances become less severe and our symptoms become less problematic. And in terms of long-term medical issues, so we've talked about depression and weight management, metabolic syndrome, what else is there to consider? So we talked a bit about insulin resistance and diabetes. I think gestational diabetes is something really important to point out because young healthy women with PCOS often do get gestational diabetes. Having a pregnancy is a state where sugar has to flow from mother to child across the placenta and it's a naturally insulin resistant state and women with PCOS are more likely to get gestational diabetes with our modern diet and lifestyle. That can lead to babies growing too big for the mother's pelvis, can be called macrosomia. And if you are in a severe category where you have gestational diabetes and you require insulin to control your blood sugars throughout pregnancy, there are other obstetric implications that are more common, like having ultimately placental insufficiency and having fetal distress in labour. And unfortunately, there's a slightly increased risk of fetal death in utero in late pregnancy. So for that reason, we, which is very serious, we tend not to encourage women with gestational diabetes, particularly on insulin, to go post-dates. And they would be most likely recommended that their labour be induced just before or at full term. So there, there are immediate obstetric implications. And in terms of gestational diabetes, again, it's a spectrum. And, you know, you can go from very mild to very severe. Some women with gestational diabetes manage with diet control. Others do require insulin and more significant interventions. The better control we have of our PCOS before pregnancy and the better control we maintain in pregnancy, the less likely we are to need those heavy-handed interventions like insulin, uh, which is injectable several times a day during pregnancy for severe gestational diabetes. So making these changes early on is really important and maintaining them throughout pregnancy is very important. I tell my women who come to see me with PCOS who I help to have a baby just to treat themselves in terms of diet as if they have gestational diabetes so that they don't get gestational diabetes. And we definitely always involve, if a woman is willing, our clinical nutritionist to try and give them the very best advice and the very best chance right from the beginning of pregnancy so that that is avoided as best as possible or managed as effectively as possible. Some people are going to get gestational diabetes no matter what. Some people, the minute they're pregnant, they have gestational diabetes and that can increase their risk of miscarriage. 
you know, it's important to know sugar is a toxin from a fetus's point of view. And women who have diabetes are more likely to have a miscarriage for that reason because the high sugars can affect fetal development adversely and encourage fetal malformations. There's some pretty serious stuff that we can really nip in the bud as best we can if, we, if we're very motivated and we know about it. If we don't know about it, how are we going to change anything? So having that knowledge is really important. I also think that with gestational diabetes and PCOS, you know, sometimes it is worth just involving a weight loss professional before pregnancy because for some women having that break can not only help them to ovulate much, much more effectively, but it can also reduce their risk in pregnancy of having these problems. So, you know, part of our team, you know, is also encouraging that and assisting that if, if it's something that a woman wants. Earlier you mentioned the 100-day program. We haven't spoken about this before on Nogda. How can the 100-day program at Women's Health Melbourne help someone trying to conceive? Basically our 100-day program is building a village and building a team for our patients that include our allied health professionals. So it's not the same for every patient because everybody's different and everybody's emphasis is going to be a little bit different. But building a team, whether it be through nutritional support and coaching, whether it be through weight loss assistance, whether it be through having a Chinese medicine perspective, an integrative perspective on PCOS management, whether it be having a naturopathic input into diet and lifestyle, we can offer all of the above. And it's really important to understand that it takes a while to have and engage a reset in our body, particularly in PCOS, and that changes that we make do take a few months to come into gear and you know if I could you know if I wanted my patient with PCOS to reduce their weight by five kilograms and I could snap my fingers and make it happen believe me I would do it for them but there's a lot of work that goes into that so it does take time. It also is an opportunity to improve sperm quality, to work on general health, to optimize nutrition, to get all those gears into place so that when a patient, if they do ultimately need something like medical intervention or a medication like metformin to help them with that metabolic change, then their body's at the most receptive point that it can be to have those changes be effective. So by working together, we really dramatically reduce the number of my patients with PCOS who ultimately need IVF. And we take it as a great gratification when we help our patients with PCOS get pregnant without IVF. Thank you so much, Radia. Looking forward to the rest of the series. Yeah, I think it'll be really good. I, I like it also compared to our previous episode, which is or our previous episodes, which were very medically minded. And the way that we have practiced at Women's Health Melbourne has changed, bringing our allied team on board and changed, I believe, for the better and to our patients' benefit. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr. Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au. Listener.